Hi, Explorers. Thanks for listening to Kids Who Explore Parent Edition. Come along with us as we cover all corners of raising kids in the outdoors. Hi, I'm Adriana Scori. I'm a hiking mom in the Canadian Rockies, Mama to Turner, and CEO of Kids Who Explore. I'm Lauren Rodick Eberly. I'm mom to Collins. We love being outside and exploring between our two homes in Seattle, Washington, and Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Today's podcast is sponsored by Kids Who Explore's Patch for a Purpose. Every time we see our patch out in the world, we feel the love and support behind it. Our patches can be sewn onto backpacks, jackets, bags, or even baby carriers, to name a few. Or they can be carried in your packs as special adventure items for all your little explorers. Our patch comes in eight different colors, and a dollar from each patch goes to a, you guessed it, purpose. Your support can make a difference for all of the following charity groups, depending on which color patch you want to represent. Alberta Parks, Children's Disability, BIPOC and Anti-Racism, Sick Children, The Earth, Children's Wellbeing, Anti-Bullying, and Children's Mental Health. Check out the hashtag Patch for a Purpose to see our patch and the community behind it. That's hashtag Patch, the number four, a purpose. To get your patch today, visit www.kidswhoexplore.ca. We thank you in advance for the difference you are making. For 26 years, the King family has owned natural playgrounds, and they have been the leading experts in designing beautiful, intriguing, cost-effective, safe, and philosophically appropriate natural playgrounds for K-12 schools, Montessori schools, Head Start programs, childcare centers, and communities. If you've ever climbed trees, made forts, climbed rocks, made mud pies, dammed up water, dug in sand, jumped in leaves, or had fun outside in other similar ways, you've experienced natural play. Ron King saw the need for natural play in playground settings, and we are so excited to chat with him today. Hi, Ron. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you again for being on today. Sure. So can you tell us a bit of the backstory behind the creation of natural playgrounds? Oh, my goodness. All right. So that started uh, 20, probably 27 years ago. I was part of the Architects in Schools program or Artists in Schools program. And I got invited one time to go down to Girls Inc. I don't know whether you know Girls Inc., but oh. it's, a, it's a national organization for at-risk teenage girls. Okay. And the director down there at our center in New Hampshire said, we'd love to have you teach our girls how to build things. And I said, great, I'd love to do that. And I said, what do you want them to build? And they said, you know, tree, you know, little uh, bird houses and bird feeders and things like that. And I said, that's great. And I said, how long is the program? They said, six weeks. I said, that is a lot of bird houses. <laughs> so we decided uh, at the time down the headquarters, they were doing, uh, putting in a brand new, typical equipment playground with, you know, post platforms, uh, tall towers and things like that. And they had just gotten a grant from Rosie O'Donnell for 50000 and Home Depot for 60000 So they're spending $110,000 in this playground equipment. So I said, how about if we just take like a bench or something? And we'll have the girls design a bench and build a bench over the summer and then, or maybe even two, and then we'll come out here and install them. So we did that. We brought the bench there and we installed it. And then the grand opening with the governor and the ribbon cutting and all that. And all these young kids, they were probably between three and eight years old, ran out to this brand new playground, you know, ran up and over it and around it and through it. And then they ran off into the woods. And I said, well, wait a minute here. 
$110,000 plus whatever the installation was, and the kids are not on it. They would be in the woods. And then I remembered, of course, when I grew up, that's all I did. I was in the woods all the time, time I got up in the morning, time I went to bed, in the woods, climbing trees, all that kind of stuff. And I said, you know, kids need that kind of experience today. So that was the beginning. It wasn't long after that when we met a, a very good friend of ours who um, ran the early childhood um, program at the local technical institute here, technical college. And she said, hey, I just finished building my dream childcare center. I said, that's wonderful, Mary. Congratulations. Now, she said, I need a playground. Do you know anybody who designs playgrounds? And I said, me. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I do. So, you know, that was my curious, that was my confidence builder. You know, so, so I went right back to my office, did some quick research. Most of the stuff I found was in Europe. Uh, but I put together a proposal for her. I submitted to her. So that's what I want. So that was my first one. I, I designed that. I built that up by myself. And it's still parts of it are still there all these 26 years later. But that was the beginning. And from there, I just kind of went. Wow. So, yeah. And you're right. It's just instinct, right? For kids to just yeah. go out into nature. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that's so Absolutely. cool that you saw that and thought about that. Well, it's interesting. I did a big playground down in, in Boca Raton, down in Florida. You know, child care center and a synagogue down there. And after we got it done and built, we had a construction company at the time. So we built it as well as designed it. And after we got done, it was a grand opening, grass, everything looked beautiful, grand opening. And I went out there with the director. And the kids were running all over the place like they should do, right? And rolling down hills because we built hills. In Florida, there aren't any hills, you know, it's flat. So we built these big mountains, you know, seven, eight feet high and two or three of them and so on, foothills and all that kind of stuff like we typically do. And uh, the kids were rolling down the hills and she looked and she said, they're rolling down the hills. I didn't teach them to do that. And I said, no, you don't have to. That's how kids, you know, experiment with their, with their environment and how they acclimate and how they kind of learn about themselves and things like that. So that's a good thing. You know, but you find a lot of kids just have never experienced play in nature. Right. It's just, you know, push them into the playground. It's got a square fence around it, you know, a rectangular fence. Got all this plastic equipment and wood chips all over the bottom there. And that's, you know, that's their, that's their play area. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because we talk so much about stimulating kids' brains and that's what's going to stimulate yeah. them right? Is all that oh, yeah. movement and them listening to their bodies and yeah. that play. I mean, here's an, I give a lot of presentations to adults and parents and teachers and things like that. So one of the things I say is picture yourself. And I don't know whether your audience is the kind of, is the kind of audience that would get out in the woods or, you know, walk in parks or, you know, anything like that, but maybe even at home, you know, in the grass, they have a lawn, they have a, you know, garden out back, whatever. But if you go down and just sit, on the ground, in the woods, just sit on the ground and look around. You know, what do you see? Why well, you see dead leaves and pine needles and branches and little things poking up through and maybe some mushrooms and, yeah, I mean, just in, insects. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of stuff, right? Picture yourself sitting down on a playground, on the ground, where it's all wood chips or rubber chips everywhere. And what do you see there? You know, nothing. 
So there's nothing inspires your imagination, nothing inspires your thing, nothing inspires your inquisitiveness, like, oh my gosh, what's that little thing crawling there? You don't get any of that on this sort of traditional playground. So that's another kind of good sort of comparison between what they should have and what they do have. Yes, that's such a good point. Well, and I had read on your website that you interviewed, I think it was 6,000 kids and offered yeah. them a choice between an equipment playground and a natural playground. What did you find when you did that? Well, it wasn't so much that it was, I, I had several pictures that I wanted to show. I mean, I, the first group I did it with was 600 kids in this grade school, elementary school. And you know, 600 kids, a lot of kids to sort of talk to. But I had a woman who owned a, uh, what they call a focus group. I don't know whether you know focus groups are, but yeah. she owned a kind of focus group company. So she traveled all over the world and, you know, conducting focus groups for Colgate or, you know, whoever. Uh, and she was, uh, uh, she was a parent uh, for one of the children in this, you know, I think a fourth grader. And she said, if you would like, I'll go around every class with you and I'll just record everything I hear from the kids. So one of the things that I have a little slideshow put together for the kids, but one of the things I have is four or five pictures of things. Cause I wanted to take all the kids and take them and put them down, say in a factory, you know, area in the South end of a town and say, you know, would you rather play here and then take them up into the woods with the mountains and they, or would you rather play here and just see what they would say, you know, but I couldn't do that. So I tried pictures. So I had, you know, the picture of a, uh, of a not so natural place and a picture of now, would you rather be here playing or sitting or talking or would you rather be over here? And invariably they chose the more natural ones. Wow. And then I said, why? I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. I'm just really curious, you know, what made you choose these 99% of the time? And they said, well, it's not boring. You're always gonna find something different. There's plenty of space to do anything you wanna do. You just might find things. I mean, they came up with things. Wow. And one of the things they said, the woods don't break. Oh. I mean, that was just <laughs> poetic, you know, just a really insightful from these young kids. So after talking to those kids and then interviewing thousands of other kids, the one thing we concluded is that kids are bored on traditional playgrounds. So if you think about the first day of school, they go, you know, whatever grade they're in, they go out to the playground, it's all new to them, right? So they're doing this and that and the other thing. And the second week they go out there, it's the same thing. And the third month, it's the same thing. And the second year, it's the same thing. Somewhere in there, they say to themselves, this is not so much fun. I need to do something to make this fun. So then they'll climb up the slide backwards, you know, right. and they'll slide down their you know, stomachs going down the other way. Or they'll climb up on top of a railing and they'll do a helicopter jumping off the railing out of the ground, you know, whatever. But they do things to be, you know, excited, to be challenged a little bit. Right. And make it less yeah. one-dimensional then, right? Exactly. And that's exactly why every year it costs the United States $14 billion in accidents on traditional playgrounds. That is, okay, that is something I really wanted to ask you about because that is, especially we're kids who explore. So we're families and parents listening yeah. to this podcast and parents are always concerned, obviously, about safety. But with these equipment playgrounds, safety actually is more of a concern, right? Because people, kids are pushing themselves beyond exactly. their natural yep. ability, right? Yep, yep. So that's the American Orthopedics Association reported incidents 
you know, cost the US 14 billion, never mind the ones that aren't reported, like slivers and things like that. So, you know, there is there is a huge difference. So and unfortunately, I don't have a lot of studies with natural playgrounds, but I keep kind of track of them after we build them and install them or after they get installed. And the incidents of accidents are nothing. I mean, nobody ever says anything about kids being right. hurt. Rocks everywhere, mountains everywhere, caves and tunnels and slides built into the hills and gardens and stuff like that. But kids just don't get hurt. Yeah, because they do what their skill level can do. And then as they exactly. get bigger, then yeah. they do the next thing, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So it'd be the same well, as see, going on a hike or. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So a natural play, the neat thing about natural playgrounds is that they are safe for any age group. So even ones we build for high school kids or even, even um, we do a lot in uh, community parks and things like that, even those, because everything is built into the ground. So we build mountains, you know, we build 10 foot, 8 foot, 10 foot mountains and foothills and all that kind of stuff. It's really, really pretty. We try to make the, you know, try to make the scenario really natural and big trees and orchards and things like that. But once you get that in there, you know, you could, you could begin, you watch the kids and it's a whole different kind of play experience, completely different. They're helping each other, which they normally don't do. Their clicks change from one to the other. So you typically on, on traditional playground, our kids of a certain age, certain ability, certain sort of personality get together as a click. And then they keep everybody out. And these kids, maybe they'll play soccer. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll corral around a particular piece of playground equipment or something. And then they'll keep all the other kids out. But if you go to a natural playground, you never see that. Wow. You never see it. Because today, this guy, you know, this person, this group say, you know, I, I don't want to be with you. I want to go over there and do that fun thing over there on that mountain. I want to slide down the slide. And I, you know, I know you guys are playing on the water. Great. But I want to be over there. So the groups are constantly changing, constantly intermingling. And do you think that's why there's less aggression towards people too? Oh yeah, absolutely. Most of the item, like most of the absolutely. things on the natural playground wouldn't be one person only fighting over it. Yeah, you don't, you don't find like, if you just think of swings, we never put swings on a playground anymore because they're one of the most dangerous things on the playground. I mean, they're great. You know, I used to love swinging, but on a playground, they're kind of dangerous and they take up a huge amount of space. So, you know, most playgrounds don't have that kind of space. But anyway, so, so kids, you know, kids of a certain age can accommodate the depth, you know, with the swing back and forth, but others just can't do that. You know, they're just going to see that. So, yeah, so natural playgrounds. I would have never thought of swings. <laughs> What's that? I would have never thought of swings as being a dangerous item on the playground. Well, if you think about, you know, what did you used to use to swing, 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 and then jump off the end, right? And then the swing would go flopping back and so on. Well, young kids don't have a sense of depth. So they don't know that swing is going to come back and hit them. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay, so. this blew my mind. <laughs> What would be your advice for families to give their kids more access to nature play? Like, cause if everyone could find your playgrounds or a natural playground, that's amazing. But if they don't have access to something close, would you just suggest they go out and find some green space and find some trees? Uh, that's a hard one because a lot of people live in cities and it's very difficult right. for them to learn. Some people can't afford to drive out to the country, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So even I think more than nature play is just um, maybe free play. Mm. Like I talked to a lot of parents, their their most fun times when they were growing up was in a vacant lot. 
in a city, because you know, they grew up in a city. So they look for vacant or vacant buildings. And they go, you know, all the way through the things and they climb on stuff and just explore, you know. So I think I think exploration is real key, a critical thing for kids. Because when you're when you're growing up, there you need to experience things to begin integrating stuff and learning things, right? So nature is a neat is neat, and then it has so many things coming at you, so many pieces of input from the colors and the wind blowing the leaves and the movement and the birds and the trees and the you know shape of the bark and the textures and things like that. Just all that stuff coming to you all the time. So you have to learn how to adapt to it and how to cope with it and what it means to you, you know, when you experience that kind of thing. Whereas in a traditional playground, sort of traditional play setting, you don't have that kind of challenge. You know, it's all kind of a mono color, you know, the playground surfacing is just all one kind of a thing. And then you got the typical equipment, which is all, as we said, boring and so on. So you just, you don't have that kind of challenge. Your mind is not challenged. Your abilities aren't challenged and so on. But on a natural playground, I was starting to say before that, that even if we build them for the older kids, they're built into the ground. So there's no place for even young kids to fall off. I mean, I went to, uh, I designed a neat playground in Woodstock, um, Vermont, uh, at an elementary school there. And it was all flat to begin with, but we built big mountains there and, and incorporated the hill that was part of the playground and put a big a couple of big slides there and caves and all kinds of neat things and so on. But one of the things we put in an eight foot hill that we built was an eight foot climbing wall. This is elementary school, right? So we had a grand opening, grand sort of ceremony, opening ceremony where kids and their families and you know whole thing out there and I watched one child, I later found out he was a year and a half old, so 18 months old. He went over to the eight foot climbing wall. He looked up at it, you know, eight feet is, I mean, the kid is what, 28 inches taller. He looks up at this eight foot climbing wall and he starts climbing it. <laughs> no and I said to myself, you know, the sort of arbitrary distinction between you know, if you're three years old, you can use this piece of equipment. And if you're four, you can use this piece of equipment. It says no. So on a natural playground, I tell all my clients and all my customers, it's good for any age group. So when the older kids are using, all right, keep the younger kids over here. And then, you know, when the older kids leave, let the young kids go out there because they will find their level of comfort. Yeah. And even if they push themselves a little bit beyond that, they're not going to get hurt. There's right. no no big places to fall, you know, yeah. you climb a big tower. Oh, so. amazing. So how can people find out if your playgrounds or natural playgrounds are around them or what areas that you find go, We don't have a, we don't have a geographical list of them, okay. uh, but you can find, like I said, if you want to vacant lots, you know, in big cities, parks in big cities, you know, another, another place you can go. Even if you went, I mean, Central Park in New York City is a perfect example. It's got a variety of everything. It's got water, it's got hills, and, and it's got huge rock outcroppings there and so on. So you can find that in, in cities and in a lot of the little parks. You just have to look around. The other thing we're finding is there are more and more towns and cities who are, who are installing like park uh, trail systems. You know, so even if like even in Boston, there's a trail system in New York, there's the High Line, you know, which is a trail system. But if you get up on that, there's just a lot of natural things happening along there and just let your kids kind of go experiment, touch things and, you know, pick up stuff and, you know, ask questions and things. Right. Well, another thing I was thinking about, we talked, we just talked about how 
nature or natural playgrounds are good for all ages, but I was thinking too, they would also be so good for anyone with disabilities. I feel like it'd be more accessible for them. Do you find that? Yeah, so there's, there's a whole other discussion, but, but the American Disability Association passed a lot of legislation and a lot of guidelines for ADA accessibility. And especially on playgrounds, because when you go to a playground, if you're in a wheelchair, if you're in some kind of assistive device, you look up at this big tall equipment, you know, and you say, well, you know, what do I do? So the ADA said, all right, you have to make this accessible. So they end up putting long ramps, and you probably have seen those at playgrounds, these big long ramps of yeah. lead-in equipment and transfer platforms and all kinds of stuff like that, which is, you know, great. I, I admire that. The ADA, however, they measure what you should do on a playground according to what you have. So they talk about elevated and ground-based equipment. If you have so many elevated pieces, you need so many ground-based things. Okay. So that's their, that's their formula. And so when you look in there and look at 80, guidelines, sure enough, you know, okay, you count, I have 38 pieces of, of uh, elevated equipment. Well, okay, I need 13 pieces of, or I need 13 things that are ground-based access from the ground. Theoretically, therefore, giving somebody in a wheelchair or some other walking assist device the ability to use those other things. Maybe not everything, you know, but a lot of things that are ground-based. The neat thing about natural playgrounds, they're 100% ground-based. 100%. Right. They're, they're 100% accessible, provided you have a path to those particular things that you want to be on. So I've seen kids, you know, just throw their crutch to the side, get on their bum, work their way up these stone stairways or rocks or whatever to the top of the hill, you know, have some help from their buddies to get into the slide and go down the slide with a big Cheshire grin on their face because it's the first time they've ever been down a slide, you know? So yeah, these, these things are accessible. Oh, that's so great. Can you give me one moment, Ron? My daughter just woke up from her nap and she's going to be running in here. I'll just grab her. Funny enough, that was going to be my next question is what is your favorite part of having a family owned business? Oh, that's a whole other thing. Um, I had no idea my son might be interested in working with me, uh, but I was, well, this is 20, probably 20, 20 years ago, 21 years ago. I was in the kitchen. To, my, my son had moved out. He had his own business going and so on. And uh, he was over to visit. And I was just talking to my wife and I was saying, you know, I'm getting inundated. I, I don't think I can handle this by myself anymore just getting too busy, which is great, but you know, I need some help. And Ethan happened to overhear that. And he said, you know, I might be interested in giving you a hand. I could have, you could have knocked me over with a feather, you know? Wow. But I said, really? He said, yeah, I mean, you're doing something good for the world and I'd, I'd like to be part of that. So that's how that started. But Jerry, my wife is a social psychologist and a former um, psychotherapist. So she really has a good understanding of people. And so she sat us down, talked to us about family businesses and the dynamics and things like that. No need because we've always gotten along well. And sure enough, you know, the business has flourished with his being a part of it. And he has a, he's another, he's a, he's a number, he's a left brain kind of guy. I'm a right brain kind of guy. So I'm the creative one. I love to start things. I hate running stuff. You know, I hate maintaining. I don't like to think about money and so on, you know, so it's a perfect combination perfect combination so now i gave him the company last year i think it was so now he 
runs a company, I work for him. So. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> what a good balance. Yeah, and, that, and your son's right. You created something so beautiful for the world. And I really hope that these become more of a norm. And even just talking about it now, people are going to realize that it's something, you know, I think as adults, we're probably distracted by the shiny equipment playgrounds more than the kids are. So it's good to know well, that this you, is an option. They are, and it's funny because I do, when I do the workshop with adults, I mean, I do it with kids too, same kind of thing, but I modify it for adults. But one of the questions I asked the adults, when you were eight or nine or 10 years old, what was your favorite thing to do outside? Very favorite thing to do on a weekend, you didn't have to chores around the house. You don't worry about money. You don't worry about safety. You, you know, you're just a kid. You know, what was your favorite thing to do? You could, you know, tell me something you want to do by yourself or with friends or your family. You know, what was a favorite thing? And so, they, you know, the, the kids list all these things down. Oh, you know, climbing trees and playing in the water and salamanders and catching moss and, you know, whatever it is. I mean, they have a long list of things. And uh, so I have that all written down. So that I have the same question they do for adults. I said, the only thing I have to tell both you and your kids when we ask this question is you can't talk to me about sports. I don't want to hear anything about sports. Oh, no, my favorite thing is soccer. No, I don't want to hear that. So sports are off the table. Riding motorized machines, that's off the table. Shopping at the mall, that's off the table. And for young <laughs> girls, it's funny because when I first talked to that, to the young girls like that, they oh, no, that's a fit. No, I said, girls... That's not an outdoor play activity, you know, shopping at the mall and then playing with computerized games outdoors. That's that's off the toes. Those four things. I don't want to hear anything about. It. I want to know everything else you like doing outdoors. Yeah. So, you know, you this long list. So I do the same thing with adults and they give me this long list. And I say to them now and they're all the same kind, you know, all the things they like to do. So I said, would you like to see what your kids say are their favorite things? And the adults, you know, this smug look on there. Yeah, you know, we got to see this. So I show them the kids list. And I said, do you realize that everything on the kids list is exactly the same as on your list? Exactly the same. So that being the case, why do you buy them equipment? I don't get it. You didn't like it. Not on your list of things you like to do when you were a kid. You didn't like it then. Why do you think your kids don't have it on their list either? And if they don't, why do you buy them that equipment? Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> the only thing is that it's fast. You right. can get a catalog. You can look in there. Oh, I got a budget of this kind of money. I can look in the catalog. Oh, I buy this, this, this. I'm done. Natural Playground is not like that. You really have to get engaged and involved with the land and what you really want the kids to be able to do outside and how you want to enhance your curriculum and all those kind of things, you know, that's all part of the design process. Right. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Where can people check you out to follow along? I believe it's naturalplaygrounds.com, right? Naturalplaygrounds with an S on it, .com is, you know, so we have a lot of research on there, a lot of photos on there of natural playgrounds and the kinds of things. If you look up on, on, look up on the internet, uh, just under natural play or natural playgrounds, you'll find all kinds of examples of things. Oh, fantastic. And we like to always end with a fire round. So I have a few questions for you. In the I'm last gonna you, I'm going to tell you one more thing. Oh, please There's do. The Museum of Toys in Rochester, New York. I took a tour of that a few years ago. Yeah. And guess what the number one toy in the world is? Oh, I think I have a, I 
think I know. Is it a stick? It's a stick. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I, sticks, you know, and tell them they can't stab each other with it, or, you know, swords and stuff like that. But anything else they want to do with sticks, you know, they'll find all kinds of stuff. Yes. I actually always say my daughter's favorite things are sticks, rocks, and dirt. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it doesn't take much. I mean, people say, well, how can I afford to do it? Well, sometimes you can't. But you put down a pile of dirt, like a couple of bags of dirt, you know, if you're talking about at home, or a couple of bags of wood chips just on the ground, or some small rocks and pebbles and things like that. Give them some sticks, give them some little boards, and just watch them. Yeah. Watch what happens. Right. Go. And you're going to create a lifelong appreciation for nature oh, yeah. with that, too, right? Yeah. 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 So, you got some questions. Okay, fire round it is. <laughs> so, in the last few months, funny enough, since we were just talking about not spending money, what was your best purchase under $100? Oh, my goodness. My best purchase? What does that mean? Like anything that's been beneficial to you that you're like, I just have to shout this from the rooftops. <laughs> oh, my best purchase. Well, under a hundred bucks would be kind of hard. I love tools, so I suppose you know I always buy oh, tools. Oh yes. <laughs> okay, well that's so. A good let's one. say let's say a tool. Okay, fantastic. Can you share a book, a show, or usually we say a podcast? But I know this is your first podcast experience that yeah, you are into right now. Uh, not that I've heard some podcasts, but you know, in terms of how they're made, and there's so many out there. Just you know, you just kind of overwhelmed to even think about them. Yeah. Um, but favorite show or something um or a book well i like the show yellowstone i love science fiction so i've been watching uh something called foundation based on isaac asimov's uh, series um so that's good and books i read two books a month for book clubs and i, I have no idea oh my favorite book boy the boy who swallowed the universe Oh, I haven't heard of that one. Oh, fabulous. And another one is Tender Bar. Both okay. just outstanding books. I love reading. So I always like when people answer the book portion of that question so I can add them to my wish list. <laughs> okay. And then lastly, if there was no money limit or time limit even, where would you travel or explore next? Ah, well, we have traveled to a lot of countries. So I'm, I'd love to go back to Barcelona. That was a really nice experience. Um, been to Paris many times, been to you know other parts of Europe, but I think the, the part that we want to go next is uh, the Netherlands, I think, or um, you know, Norway, Sweden, and New Zealand. Okay. Iceland, by the way, if you haven't been to Iceland, you need to go to Iceland. I actually went with my family and it was an amazing experience and now I need to go back with my husband because he yeah. would just absolutely love it too yeah. and that is that is a great place for nature <laughs> yeah. did you get a chance to travel around no it was a really quick because we were going to Belgium and it was one of those great uh, deals with Iceland air where you could spend a couple days there yeah. and yeah it was just a teaser it was not enough time oh yeah if you start traveling driving around the country just just outside of what's the capital there Reykjavik you know yeah if you eat and and look at the lava fields that are all moss now and stuff like that. I mean, it's just otherworldly it's just 
unbelievable. And there are waterfalls everywhere. There's a bad sign because it means melting glaciers, but there are beautiful waterfalls everywhere you go. Yeah. Just most amazing. Oh, okay, well, you made that my answer now. That's where I want to go next. <laughs> Ireland, um, Ireland was another one of my favorite places. Oh, and I, yeah, I haven't been there yet either. Yeah, very nice. Amazing. Okay, well, thank you so much. This has been wonderful, and I can't wait to share this podcast. I appreciate you making time for us today. Do you think we motivated people enough to... <laughs> I think so. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for adventuring with us. Please subscribe and share your love by reviewing our podcast with five stars and follow us over at Kids Who Explore on Instagram and all other social media platforms. This podcast is produced by KP Media Productions.